All right, today we're going to finish up our uh, How to Respond to series, and then next week I'm going to start a, a study on the book of Colossians. I've never done Colossians before, so that'll be kind of fun. And it's a relatively uh, short book, but you know how it is around here, is that we make the short stuff go forever. So uh, so we'll, uh, we'll have, have a good time with that. So let's get into, uh, get into our uh, uh, How to Respond to series. And again, we're, we're kind of finishing up in terms of looking at uh, uh, what we were focusing in on last week. Uh, in terms of uh, John's uh, words that give us great wisdom from uh, from First John, and uh, it again it relates to uh, the dilemmas that a lot of us who are biblically conservative Christians have in the world today, given the direction that the uh, that the world is going. But as we have been studying, there's nothing new here. I mean, this has been going on ever since. Uh, the early church was in existence and the threats to Christianity. So uh, as we think about that from a biblical point of view, we look here at verses 15 to 17. Again, this is 1 John chapter 2. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So what John is pointing out is, is that there is a true uh, conflict between the way that the world thinks of things and what the world presents as being the priority and being important and being significant and where Christians are coming from in terms of their relationship to God. In this case, he, he describes it as a relationship to the Father. So he says that the very, very pointedly, do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, it would be very easy to confuse this from looking at the world as creation. Is there anything wrong with looking at or loving creation? How many of you love to get out into creation? Love to do that. So when you're out in creation, what, what aspect of creation really jazzes you? You know, some people are, oh, we go to the mountains and we love the mountains. Other people say, oh, we love the coast, we go to the coast. What, uh, what parts of creation do you just absolutely maybe feel the presence of God? Maybe it's that for you. Or maybe it's just getting away from the Metroplex. I don't know which one it is. But how many? Yeah, Richard. The prairie. The prairie. You're like the only person I've ever heard of saying that. What aspect of, what aspect of the prairie? You get just west of Fort Worth. West of Fort Worth, yes. And the sky opens up. Yeah. God is limited. Yeah, that's right. Because it's kind of hilly out there. You know, where 30 and 20 kind of join. And you're taking life into your own hands when you're out there. Yeah, but actually, the prairie is really great. Okay, the prairie, yeah. Max, what about prairie? I love the Caribbean blue water. The Caribbean blue water. Yeah, that's beautiful out there. So when you're out there, that there's a serenity out there and not huge crashing waves. It just kind of, yeah, it kind of makes you, yeah. Mark. Going to McDonald's Observatory. Oh, I thought you meant McDonald's restaurant. That's what I thought. 
Oh yeah, sure, Big Macs. No, yeah, out there in West West Texas is that? Yeah, Fort Stockton area out there. And when you're out there at night and the big sky and there's a kajillion stars, you feel like the tiniest little ant that there ever was. Yeah, fantastic. Anybody else? Yeah, Gina. Oh yeah. Yeah, taking in and taking into the color. Yeah, Catherine. The canyon lands, like Grand Canyon, or even something more local. Oh yeah, Paladuro, which is on the way to Utah. So yeah, nice, nice, nice. Okay, anybody else? Yeah, Carol. The cloud formations. The cloud formations. So any kind of cloud formations, or just like storm clouds or I like the smell of it all. So your your head off face is always yeah. up like this. Very nice. Yeah, sure. My head's in the well I never thought this before, but we just went to Victoria Falls and the the waterfalls with the rainbows were so brilliant and just like you could see from the bottom all the way to the bottom of the right of the arc but in the mist. Anyway I, I told Angie. I can tell that it inspired you. You're all lit up while like, you're telling me. I feel like God's creation. Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. Really One more, Lois. I love the beach. I could walk the beach. Oh, yeah, the beach. Yeah. 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 Creatures. Mm -hmm. Jellyfish and man of wars. And <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. I know. Yeah, it's great. I know it. Yeah, anybody else over here? Anybody? Okay. So. He when when John says, "Do not love the world or anything in the world," he's not talking about creation. Okay, we we, we want to make sure that we're not confusing ourselves here, because God is this creative God. He's he's put this all together, and in fact, when you think about it, heaven is also going to be a created place, right? This it's a new. He talks about that new heaven, new earth sort of idea. So this, this great wondrous thing that uh, we all love and enjoy. But when he says, do not love the world, what he's talking about is, the uh, and, and this is terminology that John uses in his gospel. It's the same way that he describes light and darkness, okay? Light and darkness is not talking about, oh, the lights are on and oh, the lights went out. It's not that. But he's talking about the idea of the presence of sin in a person's life and the giving of oneself over to the way that um, the sinful nature operates and the sinful nature thinks. So when he says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that gives us a greater clue, a greater description of what he's talking about when he describes this idea of do not love uh, the world or anything in the world. So when he talks about lust of the flesh, I made some notes there for you, uh, under point E, is that the lust of the flesh would be sexual immorality, gluttony, greed, uh, giving in to base desires with a lack of self-control. Lust of the eyes would be obsessing to possess or objectify someone else for uh, one's own satisfaction. An example would be pornography, of course, but also material envy uh, as an example. And then the pride of life is life that is motivated primarily by self-interest and self-justification at the expense of others. I thought it was kind of interesting that today in the uh, epistle reading where Paul's talking uh, to the Philippian Christians, 
he 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 describes that. He says, you know, don't look at yourself as being the king of everybody. I mean, that's kind of my way of saying it. But but he says, look not only to your own interests, but what also to the interests of others, right? And so that doesn't fit into in terms of this pride of life. That when a person gives himself over to the pride of life, then everything is all about me, and there isn't any room for anybody else other than what somebody else can perhaps do for me. So then he says, whoever, though, does the will of God lives forever, as opposed to those who give themselves over to the will of the world. And so we think in terms of what doing God's will is, at least in in the scriptures, is the equivalent of having faith in Jesus and living in love for others. So in Matthew 22, uh, remember this uh, this expert in the law came up to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment in the whole history of all the commandments? And then Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So what I did was I put up on the board um, a couple of diagrams. You probably have seen um, diagrams like this in your uh, in your um, confirmation world teaching, you know, the, we talk about the the uh, horizontal relationship that we have with other people, and then we have the vertical relationship that we have with God. So, so when when uh, when Jesus talked about that, what he's saying is is that first of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as as yourself. Well, what John is describing is what happens when or how the relationship that we have with each other is impeded or negatively affected when we attempt to love our neighbor as ourself, but we don't have that relationship with God. That when that relationship with God is not there, then what is also uh, either absent or we could just say that we're um, that it's foiled is the grace that empowers us, right? And that um, that the faith in Jesus is there in terms of uh, the gift that we have through forgiveness. See, what happens to your relationship with other people when you don't have grace empowering that? It, the, the capacity that you have to, to love uh, other people as you love yourself is limited. But when that same relationship is secure in our relationship with, uh, with God through Christ, then what happens is there's an unlimited ability to do that. Now, I put the word easy and hard up there because when it comes to loving your neighbor as yourself, there are some people with whom that's easier to do than others. So who, what kind of person would you say is the easy person to live that out with? Uh, in terms of living out the love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and please, no names. Okay. <laughs> I was actually going to give you a name, but it was yours. Oh, right. Okay. Give <laughs> my name. Put a for my name. No, one person that, when you said that, that comes to mind is Dorothy. Try. The, Dorothy, the, Dorothy, you like the organist Dorothy? Yeah, because anytime you're around her, she's just always pleasant. Would somebody go get her and drink her? <laughs> <laughs> she needs to hear this. And my, and my, like my grandmother. 
Your grandma. My grandmother, she was the sweetest, kindest, most wonderful woman. I mean, storybook grandmother, she just was. Very soft-spoken, she was very loving, she holds your hand and rub it, and she was just, yeah. So, and so I think that's why that's I think Dorothy yeah. is because she really, she's got the same personality as, as my grandmother. So the, the person you're saying that's on the easier end of that scale is somebody that is nurturing and sweet and soft right. and not harsh and outspoken. See, and... I had two grandmothers. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not thinking of the other grandmother, are you? Okay. Yeah. So you had the chart right here in front. You had yeah, the easy person and the hard person. Okay, anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. It's easier to love people who are like-minded. It's people that I have. People that are like, you mean think like you do? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because why is that? Why is that easier? Because I'm petty. I don't know. <laughs> petty and shallow. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, at this point, who wants to be challenged, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, sometimes the way that we characterize people that are easier to love is that people that are not, they're not hassle free, but it's just not, it's just not a big thing, right? It's, they're easy to be with. And harder people are harder to be with. So that's one of the aspects that where grace empowers that. Grace, um, uh, it, it's something that fills us. It's God's love for us. It, it's kind of that same idea with forgiveness. We could kind of put forgiveness in this same category, is that there are some people that are easy to forgive, and there are other people that are hard to forgive, right? So if you were, if I was to turn this around a little bit and say, which one are you? Anybody want to take a shot at that? Uh, how many of you think you're easy to love? I have people tell me all the time at church I'm easy to love, and then I get home. And... Chris, you're raising your hand because you're easy to love? Proximity thing. The farther you are away, the easier I am to love. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From a distance. I love that. Yeah, there's some truth to that. You know, some people are easier to love from a thousand miles away. That's the truth. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it funny how we, we are pretty, we're pre pretty um, uh, able to answer the question and, and feel very free to answer that question when it comes to other people being uh, easy or hard. But then when we turn the question back on ourselves or the mirror, as I like to think of that, that's a little bit a little bit tougher to do. If you want a real challenge in life, just go up to people that know you really well. Maybe they're in your family, maybe not, okay? And just ask them that question. Am I what's it like what's it like loving me? What's it what's it like uh What's that? Oh, oh, Joette, you're not going to do that. Oh, you are the sweetest person there ever was. I don't know how in the world you could be reluctant to, uh, to, to do that. All right. But again, it's just kind of the, uh, it's kind of that aspect of it that, that because we have the gift of God's grace empowering us in our lives, okay, even though it might be difficult to love somebody or to even to forgive somebody, we, we can't just lean on the excuse of saying, well, I just can't do it. Because the reality is you can't. But you have the power of God's grace in your life, right? 
And that, that grace is what enables us to do the very thing that God does with us, right? As God in Christ loves us, so we do what? We love each other. As God in Christ forgives us, so we forgive each other. Yes, it might take longer. God's forgiveness kind of comes like real fast, but ours doesn't always do that, right? So sometimes you got to work at it, but to say, well, I just can't do that is not true. It may be that you don't want to, but it is not necessarily uh, true that, that you can't, okay? So that's kind of where that's, uh, that's, where that's going uh, with. And again, it's just kind of a nice little simple visual way to, uh, to think about that. So what I want to do is I want to take us into some of the real-life dilemmas that Christians today, biblically conservative Christians today, are dealing with. And I uh, picked out uh, five scenarios. Uh, actually, these are real-life scenarios. So these are not just made up in my mind or from watching Lifetime Channel on TV. Um, this is real. St Do you know that channel? We, at our house, we call it the Men Are Scum Channel. That's what that is. <laughs> Unlike Hallmark, see, Hallmark is just the opposite, isn't it? Where the guys are the most wonderful guys ever, and, and they, they come through at the end and rescue somebody. Never on Lifetime is it that way. Okay. So you can get your yin and your yang going by just watching, uh, watching those two things. Yeah, I do that routinely as I pick out shows that, that or listen to things that take me to the opposite places. Um, Polarity management is what I call it. So I listen to NPR and Fox. I do both of them. And that gives me uh, somewhere in the middle is kind of where I like to be anyway. But uh, anyway, so let's, let's kind of look at these. These are real life. You don't have to indicate if, if you're dealing with any of these, but these are real things. Um, and I've kind of changed them a little bit just because I wouldn't want anybody to think that, um, that I was um, retelling something that maybe they had told me. So number one is a relative is getting married in a same-sex wedding. I've been invited, I meaning you, okay? I've been invited to the wedding. If I go, am I giving off a witness that I support same-sex marriage? If I decline and my relatives are hurt, how should I respond? What do you think? Okay. Is that what you're saying? That you would probably send a gift, but not necessarily go? Okay, that's okay. Yeah, there's not going to be, I don't think, I don't think we can put this, any of these in right, wrong. But, I, but see, so here's kind of where I go with this in terms of how would, how would I determine those things? On the one hand, I, ha I do have to look at my conscience, okay? So God speaks to our consciences in terms of what, what we feel compelled to do or not compelled to do, what we feel is kind of right, wrong, that kind of thing, all right? There's also the biblical aspect of it, right? And for some of us, it's the Lutheran biblical aspect. Now, that's not a big thing for a lot of people, but for somebody in my position, it does end up being that, okay? And then the third one is also the witness aspect of it, which is whatever I do or engage in sends a message, okay? And because there is a witness aspect to what we do as Christians um, publicly, then that also becomes part of that. So I'm, there may be some other, other ones that go into that uh, that we can certainly add, but, but I would say those, those three. So the idea of sending a, 
a gift is a nice thing to do. Mike? Well, yeah. it could be, I think it can also, for me, How close a relative is. Yeah. Okay, so in this particular scenario, the relative was the child of a pastor. Okay? That, see, that, that, that Annie goes way up then, doesn't she? At least for that, for that situation. Okay? So this is like, the, this is like real stuff. And it, it, uh, torques, it torques the heart. Because on the one hand, you want to support your kid, and you say, I you know, want you to be happy in life. At the same time, where you're going, I can't, I can't, I can't go with that. So, I mean, what a dilemma. Yeah, not, not easy. Yeah, Nikki. I've been in that situation. It was the daughter of a pastor, but um, in both cases, I had, I've been in two weddings of people that I love very, not in the wedding, went to the wedding of two mm -hmm. people I love very much. And I looked for a loophole and whether it was right or wrong. Yeah. They were not church ceremonies and they were not done by pastors. Like a civil. So I considered it a civil union <laughs> and it's a law. And so I, you know. Yeah, so you, point, so you go, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Donna, if you can Yeah, I just, uh, a dilemma because I was going to ask when you attend weddings. When you attend, as, well, I'm, I'm going to repeat so everybody can hear okay. you. Yeah. As, a, as a guest, are you not in charge of like holding them accountable to their vows or, or like helping them, you know, stay together as a couple because you're witnessing this ceremony? So how, how can we work through that technically we don't really, as from a Lutheran perspective, we don't agree with that alignment, right. yet as, as a wedding guest, we're in charge of helping that couple stay together. Kind of like when you join the church as, as a member, yeah. we're, we're taking ownership of, or like when our kids get confirmed, yeah. are you not participating in that actual ceremony, so to speak? How can we handle that? Thank you for asking that question. I mean, that's kind of what, I mean, that's a dilemma. See, that's, it's a conundrum, isn't it? Because on the one hand, we know what the Bible says about that. We know that, and we believe it. I mean, at least, I mean, maybe we do or maybe we don't. But, but the question is, what, what, what do you do with it when the conflict or the conundrum is, is that you are there as a guest. You're not there as an officiant. Do you have a role as a guest? May I don't know. Maybe you do. I hadn't thought about it that way. But um, you're giving witness to something, okay? And when you're there as a guest, are you witnessing that you agree with what is going on there? Or are you celebrating something that the couple feels is um, significant and the family feels is okay, I guess? I mean, what's your role? And this is, see, I don't think there's an easy answer. I don't think there is. I, th I think what you're left with is figure out what you feel best about doing and then at the same time know that somebody's going to ask you about it and then what how are you going to deal with it okay yeah see I don't I'm standing up here not giving you very good answers am I but see this is real life stuff yeah John I think as a, an official in the way that's completely different yeah but, if I was called on to officiate that'd be a whole different walking but as a, a guest you know if it's a, a relative yeah uh, 
if you don't go, you're almost saying, I don't like you. The way it's received is you don't love us. That's the way it's received. And how many of us have gone to weddings where we didn't care for one or the other? <laughs> <laughs> they are making a big mistake marrying that person. Ga gauging off the laughter, it sounds like everybody has gone to one where, yeah, that's it. You know. The other part of it that you want to, we want to think about is, is that oftentimes we, we get very focused on this particular kind of sin, let's just call it that, okay? But I don't know that there's that many people that raise an eyebrow about going to a wedding where the couple has lived together for seven years and not been married. And we're not very, you know, we're not very, I mean, we might be uncomfortable with it, but we're, in fact, we're kind of going, oh, finally they're getting married, you know? I mean, we're glad about that, okay? But I think sometimes we, we get a little um, selective in terms of which sin we're going to celebrate and which sin we're going to, uh, to uh, you know, um, uh, condemn. And Jesus handles sin in pretty stark way. He says, don't do it, you know, go and sin no more. I mean, that's pretty, pretty clear. But, you know, I think there's a comfort level that we have with some sin and a uh, disgust level that we have with other sin. Yeah, Carl. Well, you had... We've had that one one instance uh, with one of our, our our daughter's dear friend. Yeah. And uh, we've just told her we you know we always love you, we always will love you. Yeah. But we can't condone. You can't. That's right. Yeah. So we're not going to be there. That's right. And so again, that's the just the hard decision that you had to make. You had to do that, and we would totally, I would totally respect that. Yeah, it's interesting though the, what the world does with this and social media is like the, the broadcast agent of the world is that uh, that you then become guilty of hate. You're not. In fact, in many ways, we care more about people when we say, here's what the Bible has to say about that, right? But that's a tough message. And when it's in your family, I can appreciate the uh, the way that breaks your heart. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, Doris. Uh-huh. Is, is this not a true statement that if you were asked to officiate or Pastor Coleman was at a same-sex marriage that according to the Missouri Senate Lutheran Church, you could not perform that ceremony? Is that well, true or not? That is true, and it's also in Messiah Lutheran. So Messiah Lutheran put a, some sort of a... Yeah, yeah. That 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 what that does is that protects the pastor from having to to uh, um, not. But see, I don't think any of us would do that anyway. It it just is. It's too um, too far outside the range of what we would say we could make room for. So the law wouldn't force you. Well, that's the question. The law can't force you to do it because there's plenty of other pastors out there that would, would do it. So it's not like we're the exclusive ones to do it, okay? But we would get creamed on social media, okay? And there's all kinds of ramifications of that, right? But that's part of the gig. It's part of the gig. So it, it has not happened, but um, that doesn't mean that it wouldn't necessarily happen. Yeah, Eddie. I think uh, you should uh, not to see that. Not to see. Mm -hmm. And you may, you may 
What's interesting is the um, generational difference on this. Okay, most of us in here are boomers, maybe a little younger, maybe a little above. Okay, most of us are over 40. Most people in America today who are under 30 totally disagree with even the biblical mandate. So there is a, it's a part of it's an aspect of being biblically illiterate. I mean, some of it's that. They don't read the Bible, so they don't know what it says. But there's also that element in Christendom of churches that say the Bible is the Word of God versus the Bible contains the Word of God. And so there's already a dividing up of the Bible in the sense of that if they say, well, Bible was written by men, and if it, but if it was by Jesus, I'll, I'll trust it. And so then there's a lot of that, uh, that thing. Bart, you had your hand up a while back. Oh, I was saying uh, I'll just go to the reception. <laughs> Bart would go to the reception. Uh, <laughs> you know, I hadn't even thought about that part of it. You wouldn't, it, you know. And when you're at the reception, you know, who knows what goes on there, you know. Yeah, that's right. The best reception that I was ever at was a uh, in Central Texas. I went, and this was a number of years ago, I went and did a wedding in Dimebox. Anybody know where Dimebox is? Yeah, it's like when when we all came in, the population of Dimebox went way above the 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 uh, the uh, the sign, you know, on the side of the road, Dimebox. Yeah, so I did a good old Lutheran wedding there at the church, and then we... Uh, Drove 20 miles to the uh, Czech dance hall that was out there, and uh, I left early. That was a little wild for me. That uh, I started cracking open the kegs, and that was uh, I had to go to work the next day. So what the heck? All right, well let's go. Let's go to the next thing. A little bit more real life stuff here. Okay, the company where I work has mandated that in a commitment to creating a safe workplace. All employees must use each other's preferred pronouns or face discipline. That is, you might have to attend an anti-race, ant-race, it could be anti-race, uh, or an ant-race. I am racist. I don't like ants. I use Amdro as much as I can. Attending anti-racist training classes, maybe a reduction in pay, or maybe even termination, losing your job. I have worked there for a long time, and I cannot afford to lose the job. If I obey the mandate, am I guilty of subverting God's words teaching on creation? That's creating male and female. Will God forgive me if I choose to keep my job? This is real life. Only God knows what's in your heart. Right? So yeah, only God knows what's in your heart. Okay. So at, at work, when I work for the federal probation office, so you're just a sassy little chick, aren't you? That's what I can see you doing that. I sure can. All right, but this, but what this is talking about is 
that in your public speech about other workers, if they say, I prefer to be known as a he, even though I was born a she, but now I'm a he, or whatever is the variation of those, because there's all kind of variations now, that you have to do that in referencing somebody else. And so the question here is that if you don't do it, then you're going to come under scrutiny and perhaps discipline in your job. And this is a real thing. This is real in school districts. It's a real thing in, in uh, health care. It's a real thing. And so that the question is, if I do that, because I'm trying to save my job, am I, am I not, um, am I going against God's will in some way? Let me, let me move it around and come back to Eddie. Yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah. I'd say you're not trusting in God. Because if I say, oh, I can't, I can't do that, I, I, that's against what I believe in, but my boss is telling me I have to do that to keep my job. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need that job. And I need that money, yes, but I'm not trusting that God will take care of me if I stand up for what I believe in mm-hmm. and what I feel is right. Okay, so you would go with would, your conscience and with the biblical, you would go? You I would, would give my recommendation. You would give it up. I've already come across that in my life to an extent with other issues, mm-hmm. and I didn't have to make that choice. Yeah. But I already had in the back of my head that if I was asked to make that choice, mm-hmm. that I would quit. And I had five different places of employment at that time. Yeah. And I would fit each one. Okay. So that's what you do. Dan, Dan, you had your hand up a while back. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can still respond if you want to. What? The last scenario? Oh, here's what I do. I would okay. invite the happy couple to my conservative church and see if they'd come. <laughs> see, now there's all kinds of great ideas here. Yeah, you would. Yeah. And see what would happen. Yeah. Okay. He said he would invite he would invite the couple to the church to church. Yeah. I will say you reach those kind of situations. Mm-hmm. Have people considered saying instead of you know he or she say that person or their name that you can avoid? That's kind of what's happening. Yeah, Josh, do you want to you want to comment on that? Yeah, Josh, I don't know if you know Joshua. He is in chiropractor school. Okay, he's learning he's learning to adjust us. Yes. And we need it, let me tell you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And that's what you end up doing, right? You end up doing that. In other words, he's saying that when you know somebody's name, well, then you're just referring to them as in their name. But, you know, it's just one of those slip-up things that happens, and what they call that is you're misgendering them, you know. You're claiming about them that they are this when they're saying no, they're that. And then what happens is there's some question about if you were to continue to slip up, then you're uh, you're uh, doing hate because you're intentionally misgendering them. And they're they're looking in your heart and saying you're you may just not be thinking of it all the time, but that's what's happening. Yeah, Jill. I will say, I, I finally drew the line when, when I was working at the probation when they said, <coughs> you cannot say Merry Christmas. It's after holiday. Every time I was around the new chief, Merry Christmas. I never got called in for it. I always said Merry Christmas. See, I knew, that, I knew this about you. There's a lesson here. Watch out for Jill Wilmer. Okay. <laughs> 
And now I'm starting a little bit see, you know, where the DNA went with your son. I'm sort of kind of getting that now, a little bit there. Well, there we go. Okay, yeah, Eddie. Yeah, the agenda underneath it is to get us to undermine our the the, the uh, traditional and biblical ma uh, mandates that we've had just forever. Right. That's the that's the attempt that's being made here. Yeah, Carl. This, this is a case of tail wagging a dog. If, if the company was truly racist, yeah, they need a policy like that. Yeah. To, to, to settle things, uh, we we should recognize and care for everybody. But if someone comes in and it's a she and wants to be a he and tells you so, you know, I think you had the right idea. It's, yeah. it's they them. It. <laughs> whatever. It's whatever. really hard, yeah. But, it's really hard because... But we had a, a company I, I worked for uh, for a number of years came out with this this training. Yeah. And we they brought us in from all over the world yeah. for a training session into Chicago. And within 15 minutes, one of the senior partners stood up and looked at the guy that was start training and said, look at the audience. We're from every nation you can think of, yeah. where every race you can think of, every religion you can think of, this is over. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we are what we are. Yeah. So yeah, so if they're definitely a, a bigoted company, it does need adjustment. It does it does do that. And there's a few out there, but I think what's being presented is that everything in America is and that's not that's not really true. The other thing that's kinda of interesting is that there is now, finally maybe a backlash that that's the pushback is 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 made itself known and continues to grow and so in some of these cases now you have whistleblowers who are coming forward and saying uh, we know where the money went and and that some some overall discrediting now is occurring in terms of this sort of anti-racist movement BLM some of those things that that uh, collected enormous amounts of money or and people w were well-meaning when they gave the money I mean they either felt guilty and gave it or they just thought this is a good thing but now they're learning that uh, where the money went was kind of into the pockets of people and it didn't necessarily go into the cause that was uh, being presented yeah at the back yeah Christina I was just gonna say kind of touch on uh, Sometimes I think God places us in these situations yeah. you know, to have us step up. To step up. He gives us uncomfortable situations that right. we often have to uh -huh. that, that are faced. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, you create a vacuum that will be filled. That's right. That's a good point. Yeah. Yes. So, Jill, you now have a convert in the group here. So, yes. My, my supervisor, my immediate supervisor, Pat, she died while we're still working there. Yeah. And they called all the clerks in, the new chief. She wanted to tell everybody what happened. The first thing I said was, has their church been notified? Who's bringing food? And then I said, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm in a federal building. Yeah. If anybody would like to leave at this time, please do so. I am not here to offend anybody. But I have a prayer for their family. And nobody left, even the new chief. So there you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I love it. I love it. Well, let's okay. So let's shift it around a little bit and move into a little bit different scenario. My daughter participates on a public high school track team. The girl, uh, the school district's policy is that transgendered women, born as males, can be on the girls' track teams, including the sharing of locker rooms. My daughter's scores are good enough to qualify her for athletic scholarships to college. I need help. This one's real. I mean, these all are real, but boy, this one is really hits it hits home. Okay. There's something to change. Mm -hmm. Everybody yeah. else do it. And they're starting to do that. Yeah, so the idea of taking a stand, that's what's happening. In fact, that is what's happening. Um, and that in reality, um, that's part of the major backlash. The uh, Who's the uh, swimmer? Riley. Yeah, boy, she uh, is like, wow. And um, and now she's um, she's enough of a, articulate voice and also forceful person that other swimmers, other female, mostly females, but other collegiate swimmers, current and former, are stepping up and saying, no, this is wrong, this is wrong. And so I think that's going to go the other direction now, thank God, yeah. Because again, the safety aspect of it, but also the undermining of uh, of this that's, that's happening as well. So that one we're real happy about. Uh, number four, I have an uncle who was raised by racist parents and who has adopted the same attitudes toward people of color. He tells racist jokes, makes comments which degrade others, and in general uses coarse language when he is at family gatherings. I am very offended by his actions, but my kids think I'm making a big deal out of nothing. Should I invite him to the next family reunion at my house? Yes. That's all. The kids would be the ones that would be horrified. Right? Yeah. Oh, the kids would be horrified. Yeah, that's probably right. They would be. Yeah. So, uh, but still, the question: Should you invite him to? Oh, Josh. Josh has an answer. Yay. Okay. 
Yeah. Racist in a funny way, is that what you just said? I didn't know. Yeah. But it's like with my brother, and I see it in my kind of Okay, you would do, in your family because it's interracial. You would yeah, match that way. Yeah. Sure. So I was working with a young couple. This actually kind of was similar to this, where the um, the uh, the husband a newlywed, and so the husband is. Uh, uh, Hispanic and his wife is uh, Anglo from Fort Worth. They're both well, both from Fort Worth. And uh, the uh, new husband, the groom's dad, was kind of like this. He he was pretty coarse and pretty rough around the edges, and didn't have much to say about white people. Anything good about he's a he is the person of color, and he didn't have anything good to say about white people. And uh, and so the 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 bride is extremely offended by that. And she said, "I don't want him in my house." And the uh, and the the husband is saying, "Well, he's my dad, you know." So, see, there's a dilemma there. There's a dilemma. So, what do you think we came up with a solution to do? Yeah, Tim. You invite them, but you tell them their behavior is unacceptable, and if, he, if that behavior is exhibited at the, the gathering, you're out. Okay, so who would tell him that? <laughs> you're right. No, you're totally right. That's a, that's exactly what we the solution we came up with. But who was going to deliver that message? The husband was because it was his dad. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that's what they did. That's what they did. And the dad at first he was like, "Well, this is how I am. You know, I was raised this way." So, I mean, he didn't think it was anything bad. I mean, he just thought that's how it is. But um, he's also a person that uh, didn't really, wasn't really aware of the effect he had on other people. So there was some of that too, right? But that's what they did. And uh, um, over time, he got the message, right? So again, it's not an easy situation, but it's again, it's standing up for what you believe in and standing up for what's right, even if it may cost you something. Okay, very good. All right, well, let's go to the last one. Some dear friends of mine used to attend my biblically conservative church. They recently left the church to join one which is more inclusive and welcoming of people who support or identify with LGBT than my church is. They say that their new church is not judgmental like ours is. They say that the Bible teaches that you should love your neighbor as yourself, including all people. I'm not sure what to say to them about that. We've had that happen. Okay, this is a real thing at Messiah. Okay, yeah. Well, Messiah, we believe the Bible is the Word. Yeah. And some people believe the Bible contains the Word. That's correct. And that's why certain denominations and churches want to pick and choose what fits their lifestyle. That's correct. It's like uh, putting God in a box or putting God in your pocket. Yeah. If you want God to be what you want Him to be, 
to fit your lifestyle and uh -huh. your beliefs. Yeah. So I explain to people that, well, I'm conservative Lutheran, yeah. and I believe the Bible is the word, and mm -hmm. that's why we believe the way we do. Yep. If you choose to believe the other way, then that's your choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and there's nothing changing my mind on that matter. Yeah. It, and so we have dealt with that here, and we have, uh, it kind of breaks our heart, okay? It does. It's not like, oh, okay, don't let the door hit you on the way out. I mean, we're not that crass about it, but 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 we know what we believe about Scripture, okay? Again, recognizing that sometimes we're inconsistent in that in the sense that we kind of pick and choose. So we have to face that too, see that that if we're going to be consistent with what the Word says about who marries whom and who hangs out with whom and all that kind of stuff, you know, what identifying sin for what it is, well, then we better take a look at ourselves and say, what's what are we uh, avoiding in talking about and what are we not, okay? And again, because we approach things in an evangelical way, what that means is, is that we are firm in our beliefs about things, um, but at the same time, we're also considerate of people. And so we sit down and we talk it through with people. But that at some point, people say, um, this is not the church that fits me. And we say, okay, go in peace. And we hope that they retain that overall faith in Jesus and trust in the Bible and all that kind of thing. But clearly, there are churches that... Um, have gone way to the left on that okay yeah let me get chris in here and then <clears throat> excuse me this topic particularly in my opinion applies greatly to just the power of the human ego because yeah. most often the example is your kid right you're you're somebody that you're oh, yeah, sure you're bringing up yeah and you just cannot stomach the possibility that somehow I wasn't attentive enough to my kid, or I did not raise my kid correctly, or something like that. And again, it doesn't apply just to this. It's the same way with with political leadership or anything. I, you know, I could never be dumb enough to be duped, right? I could never be silly enough to believe that lie. And, right. You know, right. Later. right. But it's ultimately the same thing. I cannot internally reconcile any type of fault or responsibility for the outcome. Therefore, I must shift my belief. Therefore, I must shift my church to ultimately move the window yeah to now satisfy the position i find myself yeah the difficult situations are those where it's your own kid that is um same-sex attracted it's your own kid that says um i don't believe in the stuff i was raised with anymore i believe in this other thing that's when it's really hard because you want to love your kid and you want to keep that connection going between you and your kid. And you know that if you draw a line in there somewhere, that the possibility exists that um, your kid will write you off and will say, I can't find love with my family anymore. I can't find acceptance with my family. And that's a real thing. And so that's why I'm saying to you that the way that we handle it here, or the way, and I know my colleagues on this, um, is that we want to sit down and have a conversation about it with somebody. Because we recognize that it's hard and fast in terms of what the Bible says, but there's also room for us to talk it through. There's room for that. And there has to be, okay? Because 
Again, remember, we're taking a long-term view on these things. We're not taking short-term, oh, i got to fix you right now because, oh, terrible things will happen if I don't. That's the worst recipe, right, for this. Okay, one more comment, and then we need to close. I've got a cousin that uh, many years ago, uh, he's a Methodist <laughs> minister down in Austin, uh-huh. and he, he, he inherited a, a mission church that slowly but surely started at a number of gays in, in uh-huh. the church. Yeah. And he had a heart for them and, and <laughs> wanted to minister to them. Well, it turned out that he, he ministered so much that all the straight people left. It became a totally gay church. Yeah. And my brother and I constantly talked to him and said, you know, Jesus loved the sinner. But he said, go and sin no more. Yeah. You know, he forgave them, but he was there for them again and again, but you know, trying to correct their, their sinfulness. Yeah. Uh, so at least we have to be welcoming, mm-hmm. but let them know that we don't condone that lifestyle. Yeah, it's just, it's a hard one, though. So this, isn't it, this, we're describing something that's very, very hard to do. Um, one cool thing that we probably can sort of... Um, lean on as we go out the door today triton does not care <laughs> does he he doesn't i think maybe we all can learn a little bit from triton because he recognizes if somebody is troubled or somebody is having a disturbance internally in their soul he just goes right up to them and every once in a while, he'll sneak a lick, you know? So not that I'm recommending that for anybody, but uh, so just we want to kind of keep that in perspective, too, is that we can love on people. We can do that. Some are hard to do that with. Some are easy to do that with, right? But we have the power of God's grace in us to help us do that even when it feels wrong or even it feels like somehow I'm, you know, compromising on my on my uh, doctrine or something like that. Okay, at the end of the day, God understands our dilemma. He understands it, and forgiveness covers even the stuff that we think to ourselves. Oh boy, I really blew at that moment. Oh boy, I went too far left. Oh, I went too far right. Okay, the. Uh, Example I'm thinking of is in the early church, in um, in the book of in the letter of Ephesians, Paul is talking to people who were wondering if their salvation was at stake because they had compromised their faith in the moment when a soldier came up to them and put a knife to their neck and said, "You either disown Jesus or I will kill you, or I will kill your family." And in that moment, people were like, do I really believe? Do I really believe? I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can. And that's why Paul talked about the doctrine of predestination, that that Jesus knows who are his. I don't have to make that decision about who are his. And even in those moments when you have to make the tough call, and it might be a tough call that you think, oh boy, I don't know why I did that. Oh, what does everybody think about that? Right? Either way, God still loves you. God still forgives you. 
And he says, okay, I'll walk with you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna boot you, okay? So that's the other part that we wanna remember that we wanna think about is that that's how God treats each of us. In our, in our own imperfect and sometimes stupid way, we try to do the same thing. And that's what our call is, okay? Let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us in, uh, in such practical ways. Lord, we need that every single day. Not just simply the spiritual side, which is kind of a little abstract and at times feels a little bit like uh, up in the sky somewhere. But we live down here on the earth and we're facing a lot of dilemmas in our lives each and every day. So help us be mindful of the fact that you walk with us through the thick and the thin. You walk with us uh, if we're making great decisions or if we're making terrible decisions. But your love and your forgiveness are always there and you pull us closer to you. So help us in our world as we seek to respond to, not react to, but respond to. And that uh, we are grateful for the people that cross our paths because we have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus. So watch over us this week, dear Lord. Be with us until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name.